on this episode of AV Week, securing remote management software devices and the software, recycling AV products and e-waste, and Premier Mounts gets purchased. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 496, recorded Friday, February 19th, 2021. Recycling AV. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box, and by Sennheiser. For over 75 years, Sennheiser has been a leader in pro audio and is now offering a wide variety of touchless and traditional audio solutions for both corporate and educational campus-wide audio. And by Vadio, makers of the new NDI professional broadcast camera, the RoboShot 30E NDI, with simultaneous HDMI and full new tech NDI streaming. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. We will do ladies first, Charmaine Torella. I say it that way because I can't say it the other way. So go ahead and say it, Charmaine. Charmaine Torella. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> and I am from Verix, a global uh, managed services manager. Excellent. Uh, also with us is Mr. Dave Hatz, who has a brand spanking new job. So I'll let him introduce where he's from now. Um, but he is an old friend of this program. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, bud. Yeah, just uh, fresh in the reins a couple of weeks here as uh, Vice President of Technology for Room Ready. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations there. Uh, and a young man I met at, uh, in Amsterdam a number of years ago uh, at ISE, David uh, Capini from Matrox. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You already got my name. So, first story for today: uh, Premier Mounts, good lord, has been purchased by Gamber Johnson. Uh, Gamber Johnson purchased them this week. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they are a, a, a mount manufacturer for all sorts of things. Uh, CEO of Gamber Johnson, Johnson says Gamber is a market leader in mounting technology in mobile environments, where Premier is a leader in mounting displays in static environments. The combination of these two market leaders will genuinely create results greater than the sum of its parts. Charmaine, we'll start with you on this. When it comes to dealing with working with clients and looking at, you know, a new merger and acquisition, uh, what, what, uh, what does it do uh, when you're trying to, you know, um, put in a system, work with a client, uh, work on a design and a new merger and acquisition comes in and suddenly, you know, a, a product has a new owner? Well, this merger and acquisition in particular is going to be a good thing because, you know, let me put it to you for the healthcare sector. That's a good example. We'll start there. Gambler does a lot of the mobile integrations, healthcare. One of the things, healthcare utilities, you know, government agencies, they're already mounting solutions in uh, vehicles, mostly, right? Vehicles. When it comes to healthcare, this is a huge thing. So to be able to mount some AV things that tie back to the static things in the uh, head ends of facilities of a lot of healthcare institutions is gonna be huge for us as an integrator. It gives us more ability to play to some other interesting designs that we can do for the customers that we have in those sectors. 
very important, especially with Gambler, knowing that they predominantly service a lot of government agencies. This is also going to be strong for the amount of money that's coming in to the government sector now, which is revamping its technology, right? And I mentioned that a couple of uh, podcasts ago that the government has plans of putting billions of dollars to really enhancing their very old infrastructure in every way for their, their mobile forces, especially, right? The army, the military, things like that. This is gonna be so huge and it's gonna give us as integrators more ability to get in deeper into these industries where we were not able to do so before. And for premier mounts, you know, really, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, I'm interested to see how they map this out. Um, very excited and very anxious to hear more about it. All right, very good. Mr. Hatt, same kind of question is, is Azure designing systems and, and you know, Charmaine mentioned um, actually an, an element that I didn't even think about and that's the DOD segment in the, in the government sector. You know, what kind of, of, of tools does this give you as you're going in and, and you're designing systems and, and getting them kind of ramped up and, and presented to the, to the clients? Well, if you think about it, we're talking about sectors that as an integrator, we're trying to get greater traction in typically. Yeah. We have a point of contact who is the AV audience, but we're trying to get further into the IT audience, further into the facilities audience, further into other stakeholders. And when a company like Premier is now part of Gambler, they're getting in there, you know, they're coming in there and there's name recognition around the products, around the solutions. And so someone who has been responsible for these other areas, as Charmaine pointed out, they're now, you know, they, their portfolio of things they're seeing are opened up. So mm. they're being exposed to the audio video industry without us doing anything to start with. And so it gives us the opportunity now to follow that up with to, and come in. I would assume that there's going to be the opportunity working with Premier. They're going to be brought in, the, the, the traditional Premier group, they're going to be brought into new opportunities, new lines of business, new areas of business. And so they're going to bring the integrator community in with because they're, they need someone to complete their solutions. So I think, you know, as Charmaine really pointed out well, it's just going to open up more doors. And it's super exciting anytime you see something like this, where it's not just two companies that do the same thing or very similar coming together. It's really two, yes, both companies deal with mounds, but it's two different sectors that are coming together. And, you know, as the statement said, I'm really excited to see what that some of the parts can be and how much greater it can be. It'll, it'll, it'll be neat. Yeah. Dave, this, uh, Dave, uh, Kapani, um, this reminds me of, um, Panduit and Atlona and the fact that of what, what Hatsy just said, uh, it said different sectors, right? Different things, different, different, um, areas. Talk for a second about that idea of, you know, coming together as two separate companies, and leveraging eat everybody's, you know, their strengths in their own in their own sectors, really. Well, I mean, those are all good mergers that you mentioned, right? Because usually it's one eating a bit of the market share of the other one. But in the uh, the gambler one with Premier, like I mean, I'm sure they don't actually have a lot of overlap between them, even though they have very similar technologies because of where they specialize. So that union is fantastic because there's so much of that uh, Venn diagram that's unique and not overlapping. Yet they're all in the same space. Really, it's a valuable move. And although I don't deal with those companies directly through Matrox, it's our customers that will deal with them. But I mean, all of our video wall customers and everything that Matrox sells is multi-display. So, you know, those, those mounts are a big part of our 
customers downstream business. And I mean, if we look at Panduit and, and uh, Atlona, I mean, you have a great match up there, right? Because uh, Panduit is, uh, is the cabling and the connector guy and the audio guy through some other acquisitions and mating them up with Atlona is a really good matchup because they're completely complementary. So those are great mergers. When I see those, it's really exciting because it's purely additive. When they both do the same thing and they just ate them for market share, it's less interesting or less exciting. So this one's really a, really a great merger. Yeah, absolutely. And the Alona plan doing one was one two years ago now. Uh, yeah. I wasn't quite quite what make what to make of it at the time. Um, happy for for the for the folks at, at Alona, um, but yeah. I think yeah. it's good. And there's been other mergers like uh, Belden bought up uh, Grass Valley, for example. Belden yeah. is a cable maker and they bought a, a broadcast company completely asymmetric or think logical, you know, as a KVM company. So those are great additions because they sell a lot. They touch those markets now from two very different perspectives. And uh, they actually end up doing a good job of leveraging their technology that way. Yeah, so Absolutely. Uh, Good for them, and maybe we should be selling more cables because these cable guys seem to be doing quite well. <laughs> there, there is something there, absolutely. Yes. Uh, next story comes to us from our friends over at Commercial Integrator. The FBI is warning groups using remote desktop software, uh, sharing software, to be careful after a Florida water system was hacked using allegedly hacked using TeamViewer. Mr. Hats, I'm going to speak on you for a second because you've had your hand in some remote monitoring software uh, once or twice in the last, oh, I don't know, five, 10 years. Um, let's talk for a second about security. This is a whole nother level of AV security that we really haven't covered, at least not here on AV Week. You know, there are integrators, there are dealers um, that use remote monitoring software, remote software every day of the week, Right. There are higher education institutions that use it every day of the week, especially since COVID, when you're trying to get into your systems um, remotely is incredibly important. Let's now talk about the security of remote monitoring software. How do you, first of all, this is a dumb question, but how important is it? And then secondly, how do we make sure that it's secure? Well, so to how important it is, um, I'm going to sort of channel my inner Bradford here. And anytime you are accessing a client's network remotely with software, you need to be aware of the liability that you are accepting because of it. So how important is it? It's paramount to get it right. Um, so, you know, it really comes down to making sure you have a strategy for how you are going to remotely access your client's networks or your vendors or whomever. Um, and, you know, if I look at it, there's really four areas that, that I start with, and this isn't the end, but I start with. And the first is upfront, you must have a discussion with your customer about the fact that you are going to be remote accessing a portion of their network through whatever, whether it's software based like a team viewer, whether it's you're going to be accessing equipment directly, you need to be upfront with your customer. And you need to have that discussion about how that is going to be executed. Many customers have their own policies that dictate the only acceptable manners, and you sure better align with those. And if they don't have those, those hard restrictions, then that's where it opens the opportunity for you to come in with your defined strategy and to share it. So second, then, is having multiple layers of authentication. 
Um, there's many ways to implement this, but really at the, at the minimum, you need to make sure that your users and the equipment or systems that you're accessing have strong credentials, have multi-factor authentication, and are protected from someone just, you know, capturing a single password and getting access. Um, and, you know, I look at it just in my own personal life, even. I only probably know one or two of my passwords, frankly. Everything else that I access is in a password vault that I have the ability to access when I need it to pull out the encrypted 26 whatever character random generated password. But that's the way we need to be looking at it when we're securing our customers' systems. Third, then, is limiting the, the access to those credentials even, um, adopting the principle of least privilege, as it's known in the IT world making sure that there's policies in place as to exactly who has access, when they have access and how they're gonna access it so that either the customer or the integrator has the ability to pull the plug at any point if there's ever a, a question of anything. Um, and then fourth is the audit trail, that it, it, you really need to find a strategy where you can audit every action that you and your employees are taking so again, if, if an incident like this ever occurs, you have clear documentation exactly what happened, by whom, by where. Um, you know, there's some tools out there that go as far as video recording every session where a user accesses a computer and every move of the mouse is recorded. Every type of the keystroke is, is monitored. And there's a lot of value to that. Now that comes with a cost and complexity, certainly, but there's a lot of value to considering something like that depending on where your needs are. But at the end of the day, we hear about these worst case scenarios, the Home Depot and the targets of the past. You hear about things like this. What we don't hear about is how frequently smaller access breaches occur. And every one of those poses liability to an integrator, to a manufacturer. And I would probably be safe to say that very few of the people listening to this, you know, this podcast even have the ability or the authority to take on the responsibility of saying, sure, I am consciously making the decision to not securely connect in here. If something goes wrong, it will be okay. No, it won't be okay. There will be a lot of fallout from it. And so we all need to be, you know, be conscious of that, that there is there's a lot of responsibility there with the power. It's not just download TeamViewer, quickly access the equipment and get on with my job. There's a lot more to it. And so we need to be thinking strategically about it and not just letting our techs run with whatever's convenient for them. All right, Mr. Capini, same kind of question when you're talking with, you know, uh, you're dealing with, with your dealers as well as, as their, their dealers as well, uh, or their, their customers. How do you ensure um, that that you that you give them not only a, a, a sense of security, but also a sense uh, a, a real sense of security in showing them that that yes, you guys know what you're doing, that your systems are secure, um, that your devices are secure, uh, so they'll put them on the network. So we uh, we fortunately play both sides of that coin, and we often invite the customers to log into our side whenever it makes sense because. We can do the repro, but please log into our machine and do your setup on our side so that I'm taking the risk on my end. And yeah. I've got a really crack IT department that'll make sure that 
doesn't matter what the customer is doing, really. He's very contained, isolated, quarantined. And even if he has a breach on his end, it's limited to in scope as to what can happen. So this is obviously the best way I can take full responsibility for what goes on. But oftentimes that's not possible and we do need to log into the customer. And I think David hit on uh, all the good best practices, but let's be careful. I mean, the weakest link, somebody's got a password that they've shared with 25 people, like in the uh, Florida example, uh, you know, one of the ways they got hacked is everybody at the power plant all shared one account and one password. I mean, talk about bad best practices. And so the one thing maybe I would add to Dave's list is internally, and he's doing it, but is you got to keep educating your people and just reminding them how important it is that, you know, we're putting other people at risk and maybe it's technician to technician. And so you guys are just trying to get your daily job done. But in reality, you know, like we're servicing a company and it's our reputation on the line. We certainly don't want to put that at risk. So we're very careful. And then, you know, we've instituted a lot of security change in the last two years, even in the way that we develop product. And uh, even on that end, I'm sure that there are 50 things we're not doing yet because there's no end to the amount that you can pay attention to security. And so it's a constant review and we'll improve. And then next month we'll add something else. And then, you know, at one point it was fine to do a vulnerability scan once a year. You did it, it was done and forget it. And, you know, then after a little while, you realize, well, not all the tools report the same thing. Maybe we'll run multiple tools. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe we should be running these, you know, on every weekly build and then every daily build. And eventually, you know, like you keep looking at it as a constantly improving thing. And uh, yeah, I think it's really important because really we're a safety net for the downstream smaller guys that maybe don't have the means or the capability, the sophistication in some cases to handle it. And even the bigger guys, like I said, it's one weak link, you know, one of our encoders that leaves them an open channel to the outside is terrible for us. So we certainly don't want to be responsible for any of those types of things. So, you know, we really do uh, try our best. <laughs> and I know that's maybe a weak statement, but it, it is a it is something of constant effort, right? We're never done, constantly improving it. And it's the best that you can do and just keep always at it. And, you know, in bigger companies like Matrox, we have dedicated security people who review our products and keep going at it. But maybe if vendors are finding themselves in a weaker spot, Maybe sometimes you want to graduate to a bigger company. I mean, in terms of where you're buying your equipment or making sure that you audit your supply chain, right? Just ask some questions. Sometimes if you don't even get, you know, you ask the five basic questions and if you don't get the good answers, maybe you should uh, consider moving to someone else, you know? And in fact, uh, I can tell you that the number of guys that audit us every year has really, really gone up. And so that's great. In fact, when you get those questionnaires from, like uh, the bigger companies of the world, it's like sometimes they're so impressive. There are even terms in there I haven't seen. It's like, well, that's something we're gonna have to add to the list guys to look into because, and unfortunately it's just not everyone's like that, right? So, but uh, I am happy that the uh, security has really improved a lot in the last two years, I think in general. And that's good because people are in general stepping up to take care of it. But uh, until everybody's running the education Bad practices like still running Windows 7 and still running one account for multiple users with one simple password. I mean, there, you could do everything in the world and it just takes one event like that and it just fails completely. And sometimes you do many things, right? Like solar winds and you get that type of disaster. That oh, yeah, absolutely. On your hands, right? It could be worse. They could, they could be running Vista. 
right? So, you know, you'd be surprised that we actually had some of our larger customers can finish just last year finish their migration to Windows Seven. I'm talking no, to Windows no 7, comment. Not from Windows Seven, right? All right. So that was a multi-year uh, effort. I'm very happy for that. <laughs> good night. All right. Charmaine, uh, something that, that Hatsy said here is, is, is being upfront with your customers. Two things. How, how, do you, how do you have that conversation? And what do you do if they're like not as concerned from a security standpoint as maybe you are? Uh, and they're kind of lackadaisical, like, eh, you know, we've got passwords on sticky notes on our front door. I don't know. You run! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, that's what you do. Um, I've had this conversation with plenty. So the first part of your question, let me go to the second part and work my way back. Yeah. If the customer doesn't, if you have this and they're like, eh. and like I said on a few podcasts before, I've dealt with government clients that are like local government clients, uh, which are like, mm-hmm. so, shoulder shrug. I'm like, Run inside. I'm like, I gotta run. Okay, so I try to educate them as 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 uh, Dave C says. Try to educate them, and if they catch on, then I'm like, okay, I won't run. Um, but um, when that happens, yeah, you try to educate the customer. Education is the key. If you take what Dave Hats and Dave Chipiani said and spliced it together. That's the drop the mic response to that, to the overall question of this, right? You have to, it's education, but also a strategy. You have to, as an integrator, have that strategy. And you also have to keep educating yourselves as well as that customer. If they don't understand this, run, you, you know, educate. And if they still don't, run because you don't want to catch, you get caught in a situation where you educated them. They still didn't get it. And then you try to do this and something goes wrong and could be on their end because they don't understand, but they're going to look to you. The client's thing is it's your fault until it isn't. And, and then you're in a situation you don't want to get caught in that. Um, the first question again was. Uh, how do you have that conversation? Uh, how do you start that conversation about security and, and making sure that they understand where you are and what they need? Well, you also have to find out who they have on their side, the client side. You have to assess their team and their resources, right? Do you have this IT person? Do you know, get me involved with that side. This is where IT, you know, we know that IT is constantly creeping in and seeping into the cracks of AV. Here's an example, right? You are not going to be able to avoid tying and talking to the IT side of your clients any further. This is the time you have to get smarter as on the AV side, integration side, especially if you're doing the service, you must get smarter and you must be able to hold, you know, hold your head with the same resource on the client side and be able to hold up to that conversation. You have to do it. And, and you have to start by asking who are the people involved on this side that are in charge of security network, your network engineer, all of that, your, your network topology. These are the conversations at AV we don't know how to talk to. We got to get better at it. We got to get a strategy to it. We have to educate ourselves and develop that strategy so we can educate the customer. Because like Dave has said, not every customer is going to have that you know, knowledge. And it's our job. They're looking to us to be that leader. We can't say, oh, you tell us. No, we're the leaders. We have to become that subject matter expert now. I think the other piece of it too is 
this really needs to start in the sales cycle. And I'm not saying mm. every seller needs to be capable of having this, the details of this discussion, because that, that's not realistic. But we need to impress the importance of this on our sales community so that as we're, we're scoping engagements, as we're talking about what's the realm of possible with our customers, we're also impressing on them that part of the discussion that we have either now or in a little while is going to need to be focused around IT security and IT access privilege and what we're going to put on your network and how we're going to configure it and where it communicates to and all the, the, the wider discussion. But we need to be having that, setting the awareness up front that we have a strategy to deal with this. It's maybe what differentiates us from someone else you're considering who is going to honestly bring vulnerability to you. We don't even need to say it because it speaks for itself. But we need to get across our organization to the point where everyone is aware that this discussion needs to happen and then have the SMEs, as Charmaine pointed out, have the subject matter experts who can come in and talk nose to nose with the, 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 the IT staff at any level in the organization. Right. It's essential. Right. I, I agree with that, but that, that is absolutely essential. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if a Vixer or, or NSCA or, or we can come up with, you know, salespeople, IT security training. So that'd be kind of cool. Um, last story here comes to us from our friends over at Innovate on the net, talking about e-waste from the article, quote unquote, one of the fastest growing technology sectors is old equipment. Over the past five years, the amount of e-waste, electronic waste grew 21% to 53.6 million metric tons. That means that things like copper, iron, gold, all that stuff, um, it's getting burned up. It's getting thrown in the, in the, in the landfill. Um, David Capani uh, uh, from, from uh, Matrox, from a manufacturing standpoint, this is, a, and this is kind of an overarching question to all three of you, but, but we'll go with you first, David. You know, what can we do as an industry uh, to encourage this to the end users, to the folks who use this technology and take out the old technology on a daily basis because those are the folks who really are, are the kind of the, you know, they're the last step there. So what they do with it once they take it out and replace it with new is kind of important. So how do we get this across to those folks? So there are some good programs out there. Unfortunately, they don't cover everything. So the manufacturers at the beginning should absolutely embrace the programs that do exist because they do get used and uh, we can vouch for that. We do get a lot of people that do take advantage of them, but a fraction really of the overall volume that leaves. Um, and I think that uh, supporting those programs and you know putting them onto your product like we regulates it, but not all of them are as visible. And so we participate in those and there are jurisdictional issues where some countries have some things and some countries don't, and it's a little more popular in Europe, maybe a little less popular in North America and so on and so forth. But at the minimum, we should all be embracing those programs. And then wherever we can, let's go a little bit above and beyond. So for countries that don't do it, uh, you know, Matrox does advertise, uh, contact us and uh, we'll actually uh, take the charge of uh, bringing back the equipment on our side and we'll take care of disposing it. So we make it easier for some of our customers to let us know about that. Mm. And, uh, you know, going another step beyond that is uh, try and design products that are very upgradable and software related so that you can keep enhancing them going forward. I mean, most Matrox products that go out into the field, it's, you know, very typical that 
uh, they can get service for them for 10, 15 years, no problem, even though I'm sure not all of them are used for that long, but there are some people that do want to keep it if it's doing the job. So why replace it just for the sake of replacing it? Build higher quality parts, make sure they're software upgradable and programmable, make sure that they're serviceable. And, you know, we, or we typically plan for 10 year minimum, but usually we can go way beyond that. We just got one the other day, I think it was like 26 year old product and somebody had a problem with it. And he goes, look, I can't, I don't want to redesign this piece of equipment. Can you fix this? And sure enough, we were lucky if we actually had a couple, but okay, that's not common. <laughs> that's no. about it because it's the exception. But uh, point being, I, I do think that companies need to be socially responsible and sometimes we need to step above and beyond the, you know, it's not all about profit. And if everybody does their little piece of taking care of the world, it's better. And a lot of the, the, the minerals, the metals the, are, are expensive or not so good to throw out either. And unfortunately, okay, we have to use them in our product. Well, let's have a way of getting rid of it or taking care of it, right? If uh, when the time comes. So I think if everybody did their part, we, we'd be way better off, right? And so Matrox definitely lives by that, uh, that mantra. All right, very good. Charmaine, some kind of question is, is, is when you're dealing with your customers and you're talking to your customers about a new project, about a renovation, you know, is it, where, where in that chain can we start having the conversation about e-waste and, and AV waste? As Hatsy says, right up front. <laughs> so up front, I love saying Hatsy. I'm sorry, Dave. I uh, hope you don't mind. I know you and Tim, uh, that's your nickname, but it sounds so good. Um, <laughs> but yes, right up front. You know, you have to do it right up front. Like for most of my clients, when we start the design, the pre-design phase, right? We talk about if, you know, if it's an upgrade, if there's equipment, we have to decom, Right. We talk about, okay, do you want us to e-waste it? And we have to, we kind of plan and budget for that within the design of the project. So upfront. And the reason why we do it upfront, because, you know, e-waste, if you are part of the right program, you do this right, you can earn some money. Especially now, if you look at the stock market and you see how copper has gone up, right? And look, hey, you know, that stock has really improved over some time. And a lot of, you know, the materials that we're decomming has a lot of copper in it. And there is money to be earned from being part of a proper e-waste program on the back end. For the client's purposes, it's convenience. They don't have to want to have to pay someone. Usually a client has to get a sub to e-waste things for them. And sometimes they only have a certain window where the sub will be around to take the stuff off their hands and whatever. If you incorporate that into the project at the beginning, you alleviate that pain for the client. They don't have to worry about doing that and finding another person to do it. Make it a one throat to choke scenario. And, and they, they will definitely pay for that. And it, you can take care of you know, that cost and also earn some money on the back end as an integrator. I, I never even thought of that. All right, Patsy. Uh, um, what? What? How do we? How do we do this? And uh, the other question is, um, you've got an interesting kind of backstory about recycling in general. Well, I do, and I know I was. T- I told sent you last night a note that you know I've been a you know in, recycling's been in my blood, literally. Literally, my great aunt. My great aunt was actually the one who devised the system for the triangles and the number on the bottom plastics. So the one, two, three, four, five you have on the bottom of plastic containers, she is the one who implemented that in the early 80s. So in one of the one of the favorite sayings that she had was waste is not waste, 
until it's wasted. And so if you take that to heart, we have the opportunity as a community, vendor, integrator, consumer, we have the opportunity to find the right purpose for all of the things that we otherwise would have put in the landfill. That can start with as simple as, you know, the idea is here. It can be, we just donate it to a church, to a school, to a nonprofit that otherwise would be without the product. Well, now it's not wasted. Take the next step. As a community, we need to drive better awareness that it's not acceptable to just go put it in a dumpster. Just because it fits in the dumpster doesn't mean that's the right answer. And certain areas of the world are further along on that journey than others, but it's, it's a drum that we need to continue to beat. And with that awareness then becomes, I mean, Charmaine brought up some awesome ideas about how as a service, integrators can make it easy for the customer, can make it financially advantageous, which is a good way to get people's attention, quite honestly. And I think it's, it's honestly not one big effort. It's lots of individual little efforts, little bits of awareness, which over time will build up to something better. And, you know, it, it's something that I think, you know, we hear, you know, it sort of goes in waves where we hear it as, as, a, as a talking point, and then some actions are taken, and then we don't hear about it for a little bit. And so I think the reality is the fiscal side of things is starting to bring it back to the forefront. The fact that the metals are expensive. They're even more expensive to, to, uh, to um, dispose of. So I think, you know, that I think all of the ideas that, that David and Charmaine threw out are, are phenomenal. And we all just need to do a little bit at a time and bring it to the discussion point. Even if it's not, it doesn't necessarily get traction the first time you bring it up, keep beating the drum, keep making sure that, and again, that that waste isn't wasted. All right. That'll be a good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Charmaine Chirella from Barracks. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, just type in my name as spelled Charmaine Chirella. All right. Very good. Hatsy, how do people connect with you now that you've moved, you know, places and stuff? Although you're still in Chicago, though. I haven't really moved at all. So and, and just uh, for the been... record, Hatsy, Hatsy is the is the most bizarre Chicagoan because, you know, he's a Packer fan. God bless it. Being a right. Packer fan in Chicago is the gift that keeps on giving, my friend. Every November, December, it's like a Christmas or er- comes early. You suck. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who have never watched this program, I am a huge Bears fan, Chicago Bears fan, and 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 Hats is my my uh, uh, arch enemy on that one. So go ahead. How do people get connect with you? Uh, Best ways find me on LinkedIn. I'm on the Twitters occasionally. Um, You know, otherwise check out RoomReady.com as well. All right, David. Thank you, sir. Uh, How do people connect with you or uh, or Matrox? Uh, LinkedIn, and I'm sure that if you go to Matrox and People know me, so you know they'll track me down. All right, that those are always the scary ones, though. Uh, for me, uh, for Tim, don't don't follow me, uh, but go by the website avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. I will also encourage you to join me uh, and my buddy Megan Dutta uh, the fourth of March for the digital signage event, uh, taking a look at DS in digital signage. 
uh, from multiple different angles. We have a really cool uh, keynoter uh, and some other uh, panels uh, she's doing too, I'm doing too. And we have a happy hour that night. It is a virtual event, but it'll be a whole lot of fun. Uh, so you can go to the digital signage event com for that uh, for us you can also check out our sponsors on our uh, on our website avianation.tv these are the folks who help us and help us bring you av week and resi week and all the others so all that and more at avianation.tv that's avianation.tv thanks so much for listening thank you so much for watching that's all the time we have for av week